We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Hello from southern Taiwan. Tonight we'll be discussing a visit by a delegation of former U.S. defense and security officials and also a visit to Taiwan this week by former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We'll also be chatting about the latest on the Ukraine crisis from a Taiwan angle, discussing how the government is sending aid to Ukraine, is assisting Ukrainian nationals here, is also assisting Taiwanese nationals in Ukraine, and of course talking about sanctions against Russia. But we'll begin with me misquoting one Britney Spears when I say, oops, it happened again. I am, of course, talking about this Thursday's island-wide power outage that left 5.49 million households without electricity, but power to some of Taiwan's science and tech parks. It also saw the National Fire Agency receiving over 270 reports of people being trapped in elevators. Now, Thai power executives are now offering to resign to take responsibility for the blackout, with the company's chairman and president saying they'll resign over the matter. Thai Power says that an initial investigation shows that it was human error, as human error in operating a switchgear at the Xingda power plant in Kaohsiung caused the power grid to malfunction. Economics Minister Wang Meihua is vowing to take full responsibility for the outage and has requested that Premier Su Jung Chung take appropriate disciplinary action against relevant officials or Thai Power employees. The Premier, though, is stressing the need to make restoring full power to just about everybody and ensuring the same mistakes do not happen again as his top priority. Needless to say, though, opposition lawmakers are demanding that the economics minister does step down and are also slamming the government. KMT lawmaker Tsung Ming-jong said the government needs to immediately review its overall energy policy and explain whether the outage was caused by a shortage of power. KMT chairman Eric Ju, meanwhile, is calling on the government to simply admit that Taiwan has a serious power shortage, while Taiwan People's Party lawmaker Lai Shang-lin told reporters, well, about accused the government in two reporters of breaking its repeated promises that it will ensure stable energy supplies. So, of course, Michael, you were in the thick of it because while us up here in the north got a little bit of an outage for an hour or two in most places, you had it for like 12 hours? Yeah, well, it depends on what part of Kaohsiung you are in, but the section that uh, I'm in uh, of Zhuoying, uh, Kaohsiung City, this one little neighborhood, at least, where, where I happen to live, uh, the power went out at around uh, just after 9 a.m. in the morning. It came back on for about 45 minutes at maybe 3.30 or so in the afternoon and then went back out until around 9.15 in the evening. So this is, uh, um, in my experience, one of the very longest power outages I've ever been through in Taiwan, at least over the past 20 years, and dwarfs the situation we experienced uh, last year with uh, the May 13th and May 17th ones. Um, we're talking about you know major intersections with uh, rush hour traffic having to be directed by uh, police officers, people trying to pick up their kids from school in the dark, um, elevators, people stuck in elevators, uh, all of this. So, you know, the, the issue, like, for me, I, I lost an entire day of work, but, you know, I'm privileged compared to a lot of other people in Taiwan. People who are running a, a food stall, for example, you know, they lost uh, a day of income that, uh, you know, makes a very big difference to them. And the compensation that they've been talking about is similar to the one that they offered last year, which is like, I don't know, 5%, 10% off your 
electricity bill for the month or something, but really that's dilly squat and uh, it doesn't really make a difference ever. So this is a, a very frustrating thing and I'm pretty sure I know what Ross is going to say, uh, something related to um, referendums have consequences and that of course was what Guo Timing uh, said right after the uh, atomic uh, power plant thing didn't, didn't pass the threshold. He said there will be blackouts and uh, so there have been. So then on the other uh, side of the coin, we have been experiencing horrific air pollution down here in the south, and it's predicted to continue over this weekend. We're talking about in the range of between 170 and 180 on the AQI index, which is, you know, don't go outside kind of air. So people are, are, are frustrated, and... Um, those who lived in or who live in uh, more expensive buildings, generators kicked on immediately because they, they, you know, you're talking about buildings that are 28, 30 stories tall. The elevators have to work, so they have these generators put into place. But anybody who was in a, an ordinary building, they, they had to walk up and down as many as 10 something flights of stairs. And uh, one of my friends also just noted. Uh, See how easy it would be to cripple Taiwan? And they said, uh, um, I, I doubt that China hasn't noticed this. And then finally, you mentioned the industrial parks. We've had a whole bunch of good luck, a string of good luck of announcements of investments coming in. Um, the city was boasting, according to one report, the highest rate of investment uh, for this, uh, this quarter, blah, blah, blah. But all of this could be derailed if... Uh, companies began to feel that uh, not just electricity, but water was also affected by this. So a very, very frustrating situation. And of course, if the Thai power two head honchos step down, do you think that will appease people in Kaohsiung or they will still be rather miffed? Um, you know, we, we generally have a tradition in Taiwan of somebody falling on their sword for this. But I think uh, more people are going to be asking questions about uh, what you said in the intro about uh, do we actually have a shortage issue? And is Guo Timing's comment, because uh, let's, let's remember, this is March we're talking about. We haven't even gotten into when people are running their air conditioners yet. So there, there's going to be a lot of questions that I don't think the resignation of one or two individuals is going to placate. I had to run my air conditioner last night, actually, because uh, it's unusually warm for early March. So thankfully, we did have power back uh, quickly up here in northern Taiwan. I think one of the interesting things in this incident and, and going specifically uh, to your intro, Gavin, and the, and the comments from various politicians and specifically the Kuomintang and the uh, Taiwan People's Party is despite several uh, blackouts in the last uh, five years, um, which lasted uh, various durations and various severity as far as people trapped or the impact on uh, industry. Uh, I don't think the public sees the Kuomintang or, or to a lesser extent, the Taiwan People's Party as offering uh, some alternative. You know, it's it's just opposition for the, the sake of being the opposition, for the sake of criticism, for the sake of criticism. And uh, you know, p politically, uh, to me, you know, you used the word miffed before. You know, I, I, I'm perplexed that uh, the, the best the Kuomintang could seem to come up with was their support for uh, certain energy-related referendums that were basically the opposite of the government's policy. So, again, it's, it's just being opposite for the sake of opposite. Uh, you, you'd think by now they, they'd have, say, like you have in the UK or in other countries, you know, the shadow spokesperson for energy who would really articulate 
articulate in, in a way that the public can understand what the issues are, and maybe even uh, you know, being that they're they are a political party, uh, articulating an alternative vision. You know what they would do if they were governing. Here's how we would change resource allocation or investment spend, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, they're just repeating the same talking point. Well, oh, there, there seems to be a shortage, and you're not telling us the truth. And uh, one of the interesting things about all this is, and to go back to the question about uh, should these officials resign, uh, I'm not sure the public necessarily is demanding that or they care because the, the public is kind of aware of the issues, right? The public is aware that this government is against nuclear and uh, the public didn't vote overwhelmingly in favor of nuclear. Uh, the, the public is aware that coal causes pollution. The public is aware that uh, some of the parts of the grid, whether it's the, the electricity grid or the, the, the water pipes, uh, is aged. Uh, but, but it seems that the public... Uh, Maybe with the exception of the Taichung election in, in, in 2018, which was in part a response to air pollution, uh, the public is not holding it against the DPP or against President Tsai. In fact, I, I, I would take that a further step and say, what would be the point of the, the Minister of Economic Affairs resigning? She doesn't manage Thai power on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, uh, you know, she's kind of several levels above it, even if ultimately the ministry does control Thai power, that, that might be unnecessarily disruptive. And, and actually, she seems to be pretty popular uh, for other reasons unrelated to energy. And the DPP has sort of floated her name as a candidate for a, a county executive uh, election race this year. Uh, so all, in a way, it seems like the, the big loser here is almost the Gomindang in the TPP for uh, not articulating an alternative policy. I think Ross is really on point here with this one. The opposition seems just unable to seize an opportunity that's thrown at them. This one would have been so simple. Um, if, if they believe that atomic power is the way to go, then lay out exactly what your plan would be to restart the, 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 the power plant up in the north. Tell us how much it's going to cost. Tell us that you're going to exchange that one for the one down in Kending. Tell us a time frame. Give us all this information so that... We have a, an option when elections come around, but just screaming that, uh, hey, we're angry and, you know, you should take full responsibility means absolutely nothing. And, Ross, what about Michael mentioned the compensation being pity, pretty, pitiful? It'll just add to uh, uh, you know, the financial loss somewhere, whether it's at Thai Power or, or, or the taxpayer. Old, I mean, someone's going to pay for it, right? It's not, it's not free. And that sort of goes to to Michael's point about you know, the cost of uh, uh, building a, a large nuclear power plant that then went unused, and who's going to pay for that? Uh, and, and the Gobi Dog not really articulating to to the voters uh, their their vision for for the finances of, of that. Uh, the, Probably the Gobi Dog will say it's not enough, and let's let's give more. Uh, that will be in a race to to compensate more, and again, that will just add to uh, the financial losses at, at Thai Power. Uh, ultimately, though, whether you give uh, residents in in one particular location or who had a lengthier blackout. Uh, a few tens or hundreds more uh, Taiwan dollars, uh, that that's not going to address the issues, whether it was human error or, or who should be responsible or uh, making the necessary improvements. Or uh, also, uh, we haven't really got into it in this conversation, you know, being frank about uh, where renewables could take us and, and whether or not the government could reach its, its goals. Uh, again, 
you know, experts will say some of those goals are uh, difficult to achieve, uh, but but the the opposition parties have never really won on that issue. Uh, you know, they, they they kind of allude to it, but but they clearly haven't convinced the voters that uh, the renewable goals are unachievable either. And Michael, I mean, are people in Kaohsiung sort of holding your breath now for the next one? I would, I would have to say yes. Um, uh, that was the comment that I heard from a lot of people as I walked around on the on the streets, you know, trying to find a Seven Eleven that had power so we could get dinner and stuff. Uh, chatting with people, they were a lot of them just commented, "Hey, this is March," and uh, I mean, I haven't been running my air conditioner quite yet, but very, very soon we're going to start, and if. You know, if it is a power supply issue, rather than just one uh, person who made some some error, then yeah, we are concerned that this could be uh, an issue uh, for this entire year, which would be really really disruptive as we're trying to get back on our feet after this whole COVID thing. And this, you know, is supposed to be a year of recovery. Should this happen a couple times this year, it would just make a, a nasty dent into into that recovery. Uh, to also to go back to one of the uh, points you made earlier, uh, I did receive several uh, emails or text messages from people outside Taiwan asking if this was uh, the People's Liberation Army and some kind of yeah. cyber attack. It, uh, you know, it, it would it would uh, uh, be good if, in the first instance, you know, the government uh, would would addressed at that point uh, and then get into the human error or uh, equipment, aged equipment, infrastructure problems. But uh, in the current environment, and that's not related to Ukraine uh, per se, uh, but, but just the ongoing threat level from China that, that has increased in, in recent years, uh, it's definitely something that uh, the government should get out in front of, uh, uh, primarily for the public. Uh, here in Taiwan, but yeah, to, to to a lesser extent, the investor community, whether that's domestic companies or foreign investors. Yes, and, and not only that, but uh, at least for me, I was unable to access the internet even with a cell phone that was running through 4G technology. So um, when I finally did get some information, it said something yesterday from, uh, from a German website that two-thirds of Taiwan's Internet had been affected by a, a massive slowdown. And, uh, yeah, there were a couple of people who made, you know, jokes about uh, how this possibly could be China. But, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a rumor that was going around for a little while. Especially with uh, Mike Pompeo in town. Exactly. And of course, President Tsai Ing-wen did come out and demand that Thai Power, Ross, get it back together online as soon as possible. But maybe she should have come out and said, it's nothing to do with China. Uh, yeah, I mean, if that message came from the top, even better than, for example, coming from uh, uh, the Minister of Economic Affairs, who we mentioned earlier, uh, the Minister of National Defense, uh, the National Security Council. Uh, so certainly uh, coming from the, the president, it would be most reassuring. I mean, look, she... she uh, remains enormously popular uh, people, you know, a majority or more than a majority have have confidence in her leadership and polls generally uh, reflect that uh, consistently so uh, sure if, if that message w- would have come from her in the first instance the uh, tv to the extent people could have tuned in something on 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 the radio uh yeah i mean she'd be the perfect spokesperson but the uh 
go and investigate. You know, that's that's the usual roundup, the usual suspects reaction we have here in Taiwan to this kind of incident. You know, it's like it's the, the the classic one, like like when there's a crime wave and, and a mayor says, you know, round up the usual suspects with solve the case within 30 days. You know, it's a it's a typical reaction here. And speaking of radio, uh, a little uh, plug for ICRT. Uh, one of the ways that I got information was by going down to my car, turning it on, and uh, playing the radio. So, uh, yeah, radio would have been a good way for the government to get their message out. Well, I'm sure the people of Gaosong, Michael, are really appreciative of your contribution to clean air yesterday. But I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on now, on a high-profile visit to Taiwan by a delegation of former American defense and security officials on Tuesday and Wednesday made international news due mainly to its timing. The delegation was led by the former head of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mike Mullen, and was sent to Taiwan by U.S. President Joe Biden. Speaking at the presidential office in Taipei prior to a closed-door meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen, Mullen said the visit was a clear testament to the U.S.'s commitment to the island. And he went on to say that he hopes by being in Taiwan, the United States can reassure people here that Washington stands firm behind that commitment and continues to oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo and supports a peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues. The government has been rather coy, though, as to the focus, topics discussed and outcome of its meetings with these US officials. But the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was saying that the visit achieved fruitful results and the former US defence and security officials held in-depth talks with the government heads on issues including Taiwan-US security cooperation. Now, the delegation also met with KMT Chairman Eric Jew and he made a statement after he chatted with these American officials saying that they discussed the future security of the Taiwan Strait, Taiwan's national defence needs, regional security and plans for his future visit to the United States. So, Ross, obviously, that was the high-profile two-day visit there. How much in-depth talks could they have had in, in the, the short time? Uh, you know, like all these visits, and you know, we'll get into this with Pompeo as well, you know, when they say X days, Y nights, uh, you, know, you have to chop off the front and the back end because th- those are really the travel days. So the actual amount of time in country is, is substantially less than the headlines. Uh, they go, th- go they have a busy itinerary, so they go, go to several meetings uh, during the day, whether that's with the president or the foreign ministry or the ministry of national defense business leaders uh, in, in the case of the the former defense and security officials meeting with the Guomindang as well I, again seriously how, how much in-depth conversation could they possibly have had uh, I, I would guess almost everything they would have said is something that we would already know from a uh, voluminous conversation that occurs here in Taiwan on, on television talk shows or uh, published pieces commentaries in the media about about, uh, Taiwan's defense needs and you know, some of these things are, are debated ad nauseum, whether it's which weapon systems to purchase, uh, changes, improvements to uh, the, the uh, pay benefits, working conditions of uh, serving troops, uh, the reserve system, uh, opportunities for uh, more joint training, et cetera, et cetera. So the issues are, are very well known, uh, you know. What, what, what kind of message are they going to take back after what was more like a day and a half of, uh, of relatively brief meetings 
in in Taipei. Uh, uh, the timing uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, around a year ago there was you know a sort of similar Biden administration delegation to Taiwan. Uh, so from that perspective, this is not unusual. A lot of speculation that it was a response to uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the many, many, many commentaries comparing Ukraine and Taiwan, which uh, scholars and commentators seem to have an endless amount of time to uh, author. Uh, ad nauseum. Ad nauseum as well. Yes, yes, there, yes. Uh, one of my favorite words. <laughs> uh, but... but uh, 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 well, it could have also been a response to uh, Pompeo coming later in the week because he's, he's obviously a, a partisan figure and he might be running for the Republican nomination for president uh, in, in 2024. Uh, this was seen as, you know, some called it bipartisan. But again, if it was organized by the Biden administration, then, it, then it's it's partisan in the sense that you know, it's organized by a Democratic uh, administration. Uh, so it could have just been an effort by Taiwan to balance uh, the, the trip of uh, Pompeo and, and being associated with a very partisan figure as well. Yeah, uh, Ross uh, covered it all perfectly. They came here and said, we're here to reassure you. And uh, reassure you about what? You know, just reassure you, uh, like we did last time. We're... And then, again, Pompeo is uh, likely running for president, either this time around or next time around, if uh, either Trump is disqualified or somehow decides not to run. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't see anything different. Uh, nobody announced anything surprising, and I doubt anything was discussed that we haven't heard of already. There's not, another important point uh, to, to be made is, we call these people, uh, you know, experts, and they served in government before, and 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 of course, uh, you know, Mullen ha- really reached you know the top of of uh, you know, the military decision making uh, apparatus. Uh, but even if a lot of their career, and, and not can't even say this about all of them in the delegation, uh, revolved around Asia issues. Uh, does that really make them an expert in Taiwan? I mean, I'd listen to to Michael's opinion about any Taiwan relate, related issue before I'd listen to any of these five people. Well, there you go, Michael. The floor is yours, mate. <laughs> oh, thanks, Ross. <laughs> but of course, as we were talking about, Mike Pompeo is in town, and of course, he arrived for a four day visit on Wednesday, accompanied by his wife Susan and his former advisor on China policy, Miles Yu. Now he popped off to the presidential office on Thursday, where he was conferred with the Order of Brilliant Star with Special Grand Cordon by President Tsai Ing-wen prior to a meeting in the presidential office behind closed doors, of course. Anyway, after the Grand Cordon sash was presented, Tsai touted Pompeo as being a close friend of Taiwan and said due to his repeated public support for the island, he enjoys high popularity here. Now, of course, Michael... In America, one would argue that that's not quite the case because he's a rather a polarising figure. But, I mean, do you think people here appreciate Mike Pompeo or see beyond his Taiwan words? Well, if you watch the local media, it doesn't matter uh, what channel you watch, uh, green, blue-leaning, or centrist. Um, recently, you hear a lot of comments about how Taiwan is a... Uh, 
a nonpartisan issue in America, and they've been repeating that over and over again. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or you're uh, Democrat, uh, the, the, the whole issue of Taiwan, and, and this is a, a talking point that uh, America, I'm sure, is hoping to, to get across as well. But uh, I don't know how many Taiwanese local people really know even who he was. Uh, he, he's had a, a physical transformation recently uh, in, in looks. He doesn't uh, quite look himself uh, as he, he did back in the Trump administration. But that aside, um, yeah, if there has been talk about just in general how all of America is behind Taiwan. doesn't matter what they, they believe politically. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think many people even uh, really know his name. And, of course, Ross, um, a chap who is running for the Taichung City Council in November got a bit carried away and put up a sign. He put up a very large billboard welcoming uh, Pompeo. I'm not sure if Pompeo uh, drove by, although uh, he, he saw it on Twitter. Uh, I guess that that's good enough. He has a, a, a gentleman who's seeking a, a nomination, uh, so he's got to run in the, the DPP primary unless they fix that and they eliminate the primary and make a deal for who's going to represent the party in that uh, constituency. Uh, that to me, that's a, an overreaction. I, I frequently say in my public commentary that there's no need for uh, government politicians, the public more broadly, people on social media in Taiwan to overdo it when it comes to thanking uh, foreign friends of Taiwan. And uh, I said that when certain countries donated vaccines last year to Taiwan. And uh, I thought we saw a bit of an overreaction. You know, a thank you is good enough. You know, a mature, articulate, professional thank you should be good enough. We always saw Taipei uh, 101 put up, put, put Pompeo's names in, in lights. Uh, ironically, when Michael had no power. <laughs> uh, the, one, the one thing that he did get a, a few points for, at least in uh, the media that I was watching down here, was he called, if I'm not mistaken, Taiwan a nation, and that made a lot of people very giddy. Yeah, well, uh, you could do it when you're not in government. Uh, we'll see if, if he uh, is elected president or uh, he, if another Republican becomes president, he joins the next Republican-led administration in a different capacity. And Secretary of State, if we'll bring about U.S. recognition of the Republic of China on Taiwan, you know, that's, that's all the, the ultimate uh, 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 you know, barometer to, to measure these things, right? Not just uh, flying here when you're not in office and getting a, a, a nice recognition from the president or from Taipei 101 or a city council candidate uh, in, in Taichung. Uh, another interesting thing here is, is I've noticed this is a, a, a bad habit. So people at the presidential office, if, I hope you're listening to my next comment. Uh, it seems that President Tsai often makes speeches or has a ceremony in the morning when people are not watching. Uh, and sometimes a, a, a national day or a New Year's Day falls on a weekend uh, on a Saturday or a Sunday or on a public, other public. But uh, these things should be done in prime time so more people can tune, can tune in and watch it. But a, a big, important policy speech, uh, for example, remember Nat Herner, last year's National Day speech was delivered at like 10 a.m. And the New Year's Day speech was delivered at like 9 a.m. Uh, these things should be uh, prime times. You'll get a bigger audience. That, that's assuming Michael has has power down there in Kaohsiung <laughs> and, and you can tune in and watch it. Uh, but but just just the audio, this is a work day. So, so even if we had normal power yesterday, uh, who's going to watch this big ceremony if people are at work? There's a reason that Biden gave his State of the Union at uh, around like, uh, you know, 9 p.m in the States.
Yes. Anyway, on that mark and note, we shall leave it here on ICRT's Taiwan this week for a few minutes because we're going to have an important commercial break, but we'll return after these commercials have played. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And lawmakers on Tuesday issued a cross-party condemnation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and called on the government to participate in international efforts aimed at bringing an end to the conflict there. Now, the government last Friday announced that it had joined other countries in placing sanctions on Russia and is scrutinising exports to the country. And the Premier went on to say that the government agencies will be assisting local companies whose businesses might be affected by such sanctions. However, unlike other countries, the government here has yet to provide the public with any specific details of the items covered by these sanctions or whether it will take further steps, such as cutting off a number of Russian banks from the SWIFT interbank payment system or even going as far as the UK and banning shipping with ties to Russia from docking at the island's ports. So, Ross, of course, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has been busy this week touting how it's helping Taiwanese expats and family members in Ukraine come home. It's also been talking about how the government has sent medical assistance and aid to Ukraine and how it's opened a special bank account where people can make donations. But what the government's actually doing vis-a-vis how it's sanctioning Russia, they've been a bit coy about this. Well, there aren't too many oligarchs who uh, live in Taiwan or have a palatial estate uh, on Yangmingshan or a very beautiful flat in, in newer buildings in the Shinny district, for example. So, uh, yeah, there, there, there's not a, a lot more you could say other than, again, uh, participating in, in SWIFT, uh, whichever s- Russian individuals or companies are uh, under sanctions, we would restrict Taiwan companies from uh, doing business with them. So we'll cooperate with the international sanctions or the Western country sanctions that well, much of the world, with the exception of China and a few other countries are, are joining in uh, with. So you know, what, what, what more could you say? Uh, uh, one of the interesting things about the, some of the uh, responses you identify, Gavin, is in my view, it took so long. You know, why does it take four days for parliamentarians to issue a, a cross-party, as you referred to it, statement? Is that because they have such hyper-partisanship that it takes them the whole the whole weekend to negotiate what to say? I mean, this should be pretty straightforward to condemn uh, the invasion. And the same thing with with organizing the the medical aid. This one concerns me because why should it take several days to make that announcement. Uh, I I don't think it reflects very well on some of the decision-making processes at the government, regardless of which agency led that, uh, whether it was the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the National Security Council, the Presidential Office, uh, Ministry of National Defense, uh, a few NGOs. uh, We face disaster here all the time, right? We, We have earthquakes, we have typhoons, uh, sometimes the response is slow. I, I think generally the responses are okay. We also have, unfortunately, we have man-made disasters like like uh, you know, these t- terrible train crashes of the past few years. Uh, Taiwan should be really good at fast response. And uh, uh, from a, a, a public relations or Taiwan's international image perspective, 
waiting four days to announce you're sending, uh, I think it was 27 tons of, of medical equipment. You're just you're just one more country that that's doing that. Uh, you know, that's nice. And I'm sure the people of Ukraine are, appreciate it. But uh, given Taiwan's situation, you want to be the first or one of the first to make those kinds of announcements. Yeah, and, and you want to be one of the first to condemn what Russia did. Uh, you know, the reality is that uh, uh, both the Ma government and the Thai government up until uh, last week uh, really were silent for the most part on Russia's occupation of parts of uh, eastern Ukraine as well as uh, Crimea. Uh, and I was disappointed in that. And I, I, big country threaten small country. Hello. Uh, there is a parallel here with, with Taiwan. Uh, but uh, the Taiwan government made some effort in 2018 and 2019 to improve relations with Russia. There was uh, relaxation of visa restrictions, opening of new flight routes, business delegations going to going to Russia, hoping to expand trade, which I think was somewhat naive given how close uh, Russia had already become with China. And we saw in, in December Putin's uh, public statement about you know, China wouldn't need to invade. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll just take uh, other coercive action that'll force Taiwan uh, to surrender to China. So I, I think Putin's position has been pretty clear. Uh, and, uh, given Taiwan, Taiwan's own uh, political and security uh, narrative, for lack of a better description, uh, for, for Taiwan to try and become more friendly with Russia in 2018, 2019, I think it was a bad decision. Uh, well, I will um, agree with those, those things. I was interested more uh, personally just on the, the uh, extrication of, of ta- Taiwan nationals versus the, the China nationals. Because uh, I think it was D-Card or one of these um, message boards that uh, younger folks use. There was uh, reportedly some something going around saying that uh, Taiwan people holding a Taibaozhen or one of those uh, visas for China could go to the Chinese embassy and get evacuated or something like this, which turned out to be not accurate at all. And it seems that Taiwan did a better job of getting its people out of Ukraine than China did. So this is something that has been discussed for uh, quite a while. And the in some places, uh, I seem to recall a couple of instances in Africa where where Taiwanese nationals have gone to the the Chinese embassy and, and gotten uh, some sort of assistance or something, but uh, you you uh, evidently, in, when it comes down to it, you as a Taiwanese, even though we are uh, by them claim to be their brothers and all of this, but uh, they they don't uh, evacuate you when the the going gets uh, all that tough. I, I believe the media cited a very small number of, of Taiwan uh, nationals who were in Ukraine. Some of the press reports I saw said 18 people. Uh, so that was a relatively small number of people. Uh, there is no Taiwan representative office uh, in Ukraine. So you know, the, this became an interesting topic of conversation as well, because uh, in, in MOFA's org chart, up until a few days ago, uh, it was the office in Moscow that that had jurisdiction over uh, any interaction with the government in Ukraine or providing consular assistance to Taiwan nationals in Ukraine. Uh, and Russia technically falls under a different department within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs than uh, the other European countries, like, like that that border Ukraine, like, like Poland, for example. Uh, 
so they, there was some back and forth in the media and public conversation about that issue and whether it was causing a delay in how MOFA MOFA responded or which office should be the ones who who send officials. But but ultimately, I guess it's wherever the Taiwan National could go. I mean, if they could get close to the Polish border, then there'd be people from the the, the rep office in in Warsaw and, and the same. You know, if they got close to the other bordering countries, uh, such as Hungary, for example. Uh, so you know, we're Good. You, know, you, d- you did your job. I, I, mean, I don't think you know, we, we need to overreact uh, you know, for evacuating or, or you know, pointing the way, you know, telling 18 people where, where to get on their train. And then, you know, in some cases, they have a, a spouse or they, they didn't have a chance to grab their, all their documentation. Uh, th- this really is not complex, to be frank. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the spouse issue, we um, I have seen a, a campaign on Facebook, so I don't know exactly how many Ukrainian nationals we have living in Taiwan, but uh, there is a, a small community of them, and uh, I've seen some some people demanding that their you know extended families be granted asylum in Taiwan, and being quite upset about that not uh, getting any traction whatsoever. Um, I don't think uh, <laughs> there's really any chance that that could happen logistically or legally or anything, but uh, there is some some discontent among the, the Ukrainians we have here. Of course, Ross, the government has said that it will be extending Ukrainians' visas, so they can now stay here indefinitely. Obviously, as that point Michael made, they have, they have extended family in Ukraine that want to get out. They cannot come here. Now, this is a, a it's an easy announcement, but it's it's kind of like a, a nod point in the sense that uh, I mean it's easy because it sounds nice, right? It sounds like you're you're doing something for for people in a difficult situation. But uh, somebody who might be, for example, a a uh, freshman in university in their first year of studies, or somebody who just started a master's degree program and still has a year or two to go, they're going to be here anyway studying. So what are you really extending? Uh, uh, Gavin, for example, if you yourself were were a Ukraine national, uh, you have a job. So what you you're you're here on the basis of employment. So what's what's really being extended? Uh, what would be interesting would be if the the government is saying, and they should clarify this, that uh, if you graduate, if you're a Ukrainian and you graduate, you don't have a job. Yeah, so you don't have a, a a reason to be in Taiwan via employment. You could stay here and uh, you know do nothing while you you look for a job or you ponder what other uh, options or else you might want to go, and you could just stay here uh, for an extended period of time on on that basis. Uh, or if you are employed and you lose your job, uh, normally you'd have to leave Taiwan uh, within a, a certain period of time. Uh, but uh, you know, if you're saying if they want to say that people who were employed but for whatever reason lose their employment, uh, Ukraine nationals. Uh, and then they could remain in Taiwan, open ended. You know, that, that they should make that uh, clear. Uh, but again, we're, we're talking about a very, very small number of people. And Michael, do you think this this could obviously move the government to uh, acting on its refugee policy, which it doesn't have? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. Um, I many people have been uh, trying to work on this for years, but uh, it, it's. It's very, very complex. Uh, Ross would understand more from a legal perspective, but when you're not recognized by the majority of the world, uh, yeah, just even getting proper paperwork for becoming a refugee becomes complex, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, Coincidentally, this was in the news yesterday because there was a a rally by uh, Hong Kong people 
expressing their displeasure over an issue that's that's been in the news uh, on and off with regard to people from Hong Kong uh, about the pathway for uh, work rights, permanent residency, and and ultimately uh, for them citizenship. Uh, and they, they want a relaxation of the rules. I, I think a lot of the foreign audience uh, would know that uh, to get a job as a foreigner, there's some requirements for the employer as well. There are requirements as to the capital or the revenue of the companies before they could hire one or more foreigners. Uh, and uh, Hong Kong people fall within these rules uh, to some extent as well. And then the length of time that you have to continuously be in Taiwan until you become a, a permanent resident, in which case you have universal work rights and, and those previous rules about company revenue or, or capital size don't apply uh, when hiring a foreign national. Uh, and then ultimately, as I said, you know, how many years after you're a permanent resident can you become a, a citizen? Uh, so that's been in the news ever since 2019 and the, the government said, oh, we're going to make it easier for Hong Kong people to live here. Uh, but similar to the announcement with Ukraine, the, the, the changes or the quote unquote so-called relaxation uh, has really been around the edges like for Hong Kong people. Uh, a change was announced a few months ago to say that the the amount of time you spend in school could be credited towards uh, the number of years necessary to acquire permanent residency, as opposed to a uh, previous situation where it was post-education time in Taiwan, uh, such as time spent and working. Unfortunately, uh, with some of the Hong Kong people that I know, what they're telling me is that the rules, and this is a problem we have in general in Taiwan, don't filter down to local offices. So they'll go into the Immigration Bureau in Tainan, for example, and they'll be like, what? We don't know. And and pass it around. So it's a problem when, when they change rules. We see it in the newspaper, but it takes a while, if ever, to get down to, to you know, the, the local offices as but, well. But this goes back to a point Michael made earlier, which is when it comes to the Hong Kong people, the government, and it goes also to, to any kind of benefits for people from Ukraine or, or their families, government's made it very clear repeatedly when, it, when the situation or the conversations about Hong Kong people that there's something like 19, they've cited, a different channels or pathways for people from Hong Kong to live in, in, in Taiwan. And that's everything from attending school to being a, a, a spouse of someone who has already has the right to, to be in Taiwan, uh, to investment visas, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, when you really come to push the government to say, oh, make some greater relaxation, make some more change, uh, there is a reluctance because they say, well, yeah, yeah, okay, we get it. We don't have a refugee law. Oh, but by the way, you, you could sign up for Mandarin class. You could sign up for university. You could get a job with a company that uh, ha has the right to hire you. Uh, so again, there there is some reluctance on the part of the government to make further relaxations to these things. And of course, Michael, the big logo has been for the last few years, Taiwan can help. So maybe the government should be helping a bit more. Yeah. Um, the, if, if, if you talk to a random uh, Taiwanese person, at least down here, I've asked many people what they thought about the idea of uh, allowing refugees. There's not, um, honestly, a lot of support for the idea. Uh, the assumption would be that, you know, we would see um, Southeast Asian migrants coming up, uh, Burmese, uh, Myanmarese. So uh, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome, not just uh, governmental, but also societal. Uh, yeah, so well, how many people from Ukraine are, are as you pointed out, actually going to come from that part of the world to Taiwan? I, mm. I think uh, probably not many. <laughs> 
Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.